Hello and welcome to the Gamers About Glory. I'm your host Milo and joining me are Gareth and Steph. Hi gents. Hi Milo. Hello mate. Steph's suffering technical issues this week. His home broadband is flakier than our defence. So I've jumped into the hot seat and he gets to pepper me with hot takes while sat in a car in the pissing rain on the Californian coast. Yes. If you get an atmospheric background that kind of matches the mood, all of our moods this week, um, it's not sound effects, it's Steph's. Yeah, no, there's literally, I'm sitting in a, in, a, in a storm. We've had a lot of storms in Northern California, which might you might have heard about. My internet's been going in and out all week. I mean, small complaints compared to some, but it's gone out twice today during the game. Uh, it's not working for this pod. And I am sitting literally in the middle of a storm. So if I disappear from you one more time, be grateful and enjoy the company of Milo and Gareth. <laughs> I'll do, let's hope let's hope someone it's lets me fair. hang in because I need therapy, boys. That's what we need, right? So. That's what we're here for. So we're going to chew over a really disappointing afternoon at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It'd be no understatement to say that we were compre- comprehensively outplayed. We're not going to duck the difficult questions, but you can trust us to try and remain measured. We'll leave the knee-jerking to some lesser pods. We're going to leave the week that was until the end of the pod this week and get straight into the goon game. So if you want to stick around for some cheer at the end, you know what to do. So let's get straight into it. What do you think of the team selection, guys? Steph, do you want to kick off? Because we've done this once before and we lost you at exactly that moment. So I want you you to give us a brain dump (laughs) if we lose you. Okay, all right. I'll try and keep it really brief because I know the other objective is to get this one out tonight as quickly as possible so as we can all uh, have group therapy together internationally in our various uh, time zones. Uh, Look, I, I personally was not surprised by the team shape. I think it was the wrong team shape. I would have liked to have seen 3-5-2 myself. Having said that, 3-4-3, you understand why he went with Sessegnon for the younger legs uh, up against Saka, who is, you know, probably the best in his position in the world. Um, uh, that being said, I'm not Sess's greatest fan, so I wasn't too confident. Uh, you know, beyond that, really nice to see Deki back. Um, and, and a really good nod uh, in playing Papasar there, because right now I don't think Basuma is ready to play in the two. Uh, I don't think he's quite there. And I think, pa- you know, what Papasar does, which is great, is he keeps it simple, uh, and and he's very, very he's a very intelligent player. So I was I was excited by that. So overall, uh, yeah, that would be my hot take. What do you think, Gareth? I mean, Steph obviously missed us um, talking about Saar <laughs> when he was trying to re- rejoin us. So um, let's do the same as we did last time. Let's talk about that team selection, and then maybe talk about Saar a little bit more because he was one of the few bright sparks from from the game, and certainly the first half. Yeah. So look, I, th- I think the Back three picks itself now. Longley seems to have established himself as the first choice player on the on the, on the left hand side. Dyer having been dropped for a game, come back in, and you, you assume that's probably his position there as well. Um, I actually thought Emerson Royal would have started on on the right side today. I actually thought it was a it was a, it was a game or a type of fixture that actually his defensive abilities um, would have been really important. I mean, as it turns out, I didn't think they actually troubled us down the left hand side partly no. because they had so much joy down the other side they didn't really need to go through Martin. On the you know, on the left, I can see the sense in in session. You're going there as the slightly more athletic player who potentially has got a bit more pace and could deal with um, deal with Saka on the right hand side. As it turned out, that you know that didn't work. But you know, I do think that Perisic also would have struggled on there on there today. Um, I mean, having Kulisevsky back felt like it was a it was a big boost, but it I think it probably railroaded Conte into having to play that three four three system if he wasn't gonna if he wasn't gonna drop Sun and probably systemically that was our that was our biggest flaw today that we were always so outnumbered in the middle of the pitch. Yeah, I mean I think with Cess I think it was okay. I mean he's tended to pick him in the big games anyway because he 
normally he's he's the better defensively um i think it's funny you mentioned royal maybe we could have done with him at left back today because he might have uh <laughs> might have been able to do a better job on saka but um yeah so i, I think it was a combination of Cess being a slightly better defender although not really showing it in this game and as you said having the legs to get forward if we're on the back foot and soaking up pressure and playing on the break then the legs to carry him um I was a bit surprised by Sar starting. I think it was a, a bold choice to to start him. Um, I think it was. I'm pleased. I think Sar must be buzzing at the moment. You know, he's had you know three. You know, he's been trusted in you know three games on the trot, and um, and you know he's been playing well. So um, yeah, it was it was a, it was a good cho- it was a good choice, and I think it, I think he was one of the bright bright sparks of the game. What did you think of his performance, Steph? Do you want to come in first on it? Uh, no, oh, I thought his performance was really solid and, and, and really good and very mature, actually, because, again, he's got that uncanny ability to uh, to play the game that he's been told to play and not try and over-impress, per se, but to do his job, which for a young player who's getting an opportunity, you know, they can sometimes lose themselves in trying to over-impress, but he did everything that was asked of him today, I felt. Um, I thought he's... Uh, I thought his 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 command actually of his of, uh, in general was really really good. I mean, you know, our our midfield performance or issues today were nothing to do with his performance or even you know I, I wouldn't even say Pierre's to that extent. It was purely as Gareth said about numbers. Um, so I was really impressed, and 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 I think there's I think there's a really really solid player there, a really good player, and he's only going to get better as well. So yeah, I was really impressed. And um, yeah, I mean, I I liked. Game, particularly the first half, I think he was one of the only players who was looking for the the long ball out, particularly to the uh, the right flank. He was finding Doherty and and Decky uh, pretty well from that position, and and we needed an out, and we we were struggling with it all game. So I think that really impressed me. He tends to use you know use the ball well. Um, he's got a lovely turning circle when he's yes you know, facing his own goal. He can you can turn on the sixpence, can't he? And and, and he's quick and fluid, and a good motor. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What do you think, Gareth? Um, yeah, I, I, I think systemically it was always going to be a, always going to be a problem tonight. I mean, he didn't do anything that I sort of really remember and think, wow, that was, you know, that was brilliant. Let's see that on a highlight mm. reel. Um, but I, I hope he's going to be a good, good player. Um, you know, often you see this from young players, you, you stick him in and adrenaline alone probably gets mm. them through the first sort of dozen, dozen games or so. And then you actually see their real level after that. But look, he's, he's, he's doing everything right at the moment. I mean, in some ways it, it, it um, it helps Conte a little bit. It's a bit of a dis- distraction that you've got a young player who's who he has trusted and has worked his way up through the pecking order and is, is now been given some game time. Steph, do you want to come in there? I will, because I think that, that it is actually that maturity, Gareth, that really impressed me. That fact that he didn't look for a highlight real moment. He just did his job and he did it very, very competently. And I think that's what's fascinating and why he's probably in ahead of Basuma right now is because he did his job competently. Um, so, you know, yeah. I am a little worried that it's a lot of weight on young shoulders and the team's struggling at the moment. And that, you know, long term, that might might have an impact. But, you know, it, in terms of this game, you know, his um, his performance in, you know, the few games he's played has been better than anything that Basuma's put in this season. So it's hard to argue, um, you know, against him starting, at least until Benton Kerr returns. Yep. What impact do you think conceding that first goal had? And let's talk about that goal a little bit as well. I don't really want to dwell on it, but. Yeah. Do, do you mind if I come in just because uh, I, I fear that if the rain gets a little too heavy and the cormorant flies over me, it might cut my signal. That's kind of the, the kind of day we're having yeah. out here in upper Northern California on the coast. Um, so, look, there's a really weird thing, uh, and I'm going to be a little esoteric here. 
Uh, and it, it does go into, if you don't mind, your second question a bit, which is, is it time for Hugo to hang up his gloves? Because I don't think the two questions, I think the two questions are related, right? I mean, they really are. I mean, I'll answer you simply. Conce- That's why I put them next to each other. Yeah, conceding, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Conceding that first goal was, I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, how many more times this season are we going to do that? And, you know, look, we can't, it's, it's one thing to concede a goal and to not really get going until you're behind. I mean, that's painful enough. But to keep giving away these gifts, it, it, you, it's unsustainable. It is an unsustainable problem. And, and look, I, I don't want to make this, uh, uh, I don't want to make this a gangbusters on Hugo because he's been brilliant and a brilliant servant. But, you know, your time comes, right? Your time comes. I mean, that was an indefensible error today. There's no reason for that to happen. Uh, either something's gone with how his what his perception is of how the ball's moving as it comes to him. Like there's something physical or cognitive that's happened because it's not just with that particular moment. It's other moments. It just seems he's got this weird. Yeah. Anyway, and I won't even get into the the way the goal happened didn't impress me either. The space behind Cess and all that. But regardless of that, Saka's a brilliant player. You give him even an inch, he's going to do something that that should never have gone. I mean, absurd. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing. The thing is, if if Hugo isn't there, it's not a goal. It goes across the <laughs> face of the goal and out for said. a throw. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. which he said it was unbelievable when he said that. I'm like, my God, he's absolutely right. <laughs> you know, it's the exact opposite of what a goalkeeper's there to do. Um, and you know, if it was Whiteman or Austin in goal and threw it into their net like that, we'd be saying they're not good enough. Get rid, wouldn't we? So, yeah. and really, yeah. it was that kind of rookie level of. Of mistake, I think it's the fourth mistake he's made this season, isn't it, Gareth? That, 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 that's cost us a goal directly, and and directly cost us yeah. points. Well, that was the, that. Yeah, someone put that on our WhatsApp group early, so I can remember the one against Villa, unfortunately, which was two weeks ago. There was the one against Newcastle when he misjudged oh. the you know the long ball. I can't remember what the fourth one is, but I don't I don't doubt there is a fourth one there. I mean, I, th- I think goalkeepers, unfortunately, just by nature of what they do, they're judged on the, the number of mistakes that they make. So even the best goalkeepers make mistakes at times. Now, if you look back at clips of Peter Schmeichel in the 90s or, or David Seaman, occasionally they made mistakes, but they were few and far between. But there's a very real pattern of these coming in. And if that's that's for this season in, in what, 25 games, it, it, it it's, it's leading you to a pretty clear conclusion. And I would be dropping him for, for Fraser Forster at this point because I just think that the, the, the co- he's our captain as well. And it, I think the confidence in him must be shot. That the defenders can't have that much faith in him anymore is it? I don't know we weren't going to need jerk tonight but really think that you know the pattern is, is is very very concrete now I think you know maybe it's him him being captain that's keeping his place at the moment because it's a bit harder to drop your captain and you know, maybe has a bigger impact on the squad yeah. there was a moment just after that when there was a back pass to um Lloris and he, he fluffed it he fluffed a pass out and every time he was getting the ball he was having to take two touches and steady himself the Arsenal players were closing him down and you could see panic in the back line, I think, when when that was happening. Every time the ball was going back to him, there's no trust. And I think when you talk about that first half turning, I mean, Arsenal were on top before the goal, but I think it was a bit more even. The defence started panicking, and I think a lot of that was down to down to Lloris in possession and 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 what you know and that mistake. Yes, you boarded up, and and and, and I mean, there's so much unfortunately with Hugo's performance to analyse, including that goal being the biggest. But there was that moment he tried to play it out, and he nearly got caught. I thought that happened before the goal. I mean, look, look, my timing today is all off. I can't. I mean, I'm not sure what happened when. I mean, that's just the way this day's gone. But I remember that clearly, and I remember thinking, "Oh Christ, we really don't need this today." And to your point, yes, Arsenal were marginally on top. 
but you need to be solid from the back. That's Conte's teams are built on being solid at the back. We know this, and it's not. I, I don't think it is a pylon, chaps, to say that you know Hugo Hugo needs to take a seat for a while. I don't. I don't think it is a pylon. I, I really don't. The only issue is if you do sit him down and drop him for Forster, is he ever going to come back with any confidence? I suppose you would hope he does. I mean, he's a full professional, but. I, I don't know, but we can't tolerate this any longer. And West Ham, I think, was the other boob. I mean, he made a mistake against West Ham. I think it was West Ham. And he spilled, I don't know. He spilled enough, hasn't he? He spilled so many. Anyway. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd argue that he's only with us till the summer now anyway. I think yeah. he, you know, we, need a, a, we need a replacement. So, um, yeah. you know, whether he comes back or not probably doesn't matter. You know, if you're looking at Forster until the summer and he's second choice, uh, unless Forster has a, you know, a shocking run of games or gets injured, then I think that's possibly where we are. But I'm not sure Conte is going to make that decision. I I agree with you, Gareth. What do you think? Yeah, I, I yeah. So unfortunately, there's a pattern here now. The mistakes are happening far too frequently. These aren't just one-off mistakes. These aren't even. If it was just his kicking every time, you'd almost excuse that if he was still making saves. But there's just you know, fundamental goalkeeping errors that he's that he's making with his hands at the moment. Um, I, I remember when Paul Robinson was dropped when he seemed to have lost the plot. There's a weird um, cognitive the thing, isn't there? I mean, in fairness, we've got another, what, seven more years out of Hugo than we usually get out of a top-class keeper when they come to us. Neil Sullivan, yeah. hello, we remember you. Uh, so, you know, I, I, but it just looks cognitive. And uh, Milo, I, I think it's actually very sad. You don't want this to happen to him. You don't want it to happen to him like yeah. this. Because he's been a fantastic keeper for us and a brilliant servant. Don't don't, don't let it happen like this. I, yeah, I agree with that. And I think, you know, ideally he would have left a couple of seasons ago and he'd now be, he'd be winding down to retirement with Nice. And, you know, he's obviously, you know, in the, in the week that was, we've got a bit about Hugo announcing his international retirement. And maybe we'd take that now as well. You know, he obviously recognises that he's not the keeper he was and that... Um, you know, there's younger, better keepers coming through. Um, it's just, you know, it's just a shame that we're going to... I've got to tell you guys, every time I see him in the tunnel these days, I look at him and I'm actually trying to figure out what existential crisis he's going through because he always looks deep in a tunnel of, 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 of like despairing yeah. thought that like, you know, like he's contemplating, you know, what happens, you know, what happens when you go or... You know, like you know, is this all a dream or is the dream our real life? He's like, uh, he's like lost in his own head. He looks shit scared half the time. I don't, I don't know what's going on. And I think it was probably made worse in this game by Ramsdale having such a good game. You know, he made Ramsdale made the you know the big saves look easy and was very very comfortable in possession. And you know, Arsenal, it helps that we didn't really pressure him much, but um, you know, play back to him with confidence. And you know that he's going to you know find a ball out and find a man and. I think if you you swap the keepers today, you know, maybe we get something out of the game. I think it's that fundamental. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, it's certainly, you know, when you ask that question, what impact did conceding the first goal have? That's that's an inevitable conclusion, isn't it? Because it had a massive impact, enormous impact. I mean, Gareth, you were in the stadium. It's set on TV, it sounded like it really took the wind out of our sails and it quietened down after that. Is that how it felt? It felt like it was there was more resignation than anger as the mm. first half proceeded. Oh no, that's in general. Even, that's so sad to hear. 
Yeah. Resignation yeah. is yeah. just the death knell, isn't it? Nobody wants that. We've, well, we look, we've, been, we've been we've been there enough times, and I suppose we'll, we'll talk about the sort of wider existential oh. um, crisis that we, we may be in at the moment. But that was that was certainly the you know the you know the feeling. Um, I whether it's just me or not, whether the other you know, fifty eight thousand Spurs fans felt the same as me. I, I, I just felt quite zen at the end of the game. Mm. My, my only real anger towards it is that it was them that we lost to. Not because of anything happened on the pitch, because you almost just go there expecting it now. While we're in the blame game, how much blame should Conte take for the performance and the result? I'm not sure if you saw that, Steph, but Gareth got out a wad of paper. It must be an inch thick at that point. So it's. Um... <laughs> oh dear! Yes, indeed. A, a, a smart man. It's, he knows me. Um, so, how much blame should Conte take for the performance? <sighs> it's it's it's. Look, I'll try and be reserved about it. I, I, I love Antonio. And I think that you know it just seems. Well, let me stick to the let me stick to the question. Sorry, everyone. This is a freestyling moment. He has to take some responsibility because ultimately, when you're two 0 down at half time and you're getting overrun in midfield and your system's not working and there are several of your star players who are not having the greatest games of their lives, you have to take some chances. You have to be maybe ballsy or you have to reorganise so as you at the very least get a grip on the game. Uh, so I, I think he has to take some blame for the performance in that regard. Um, I don't think, I mean, you, you know, to the point of how much does that first concession cost us, I don't know what you can do. You can't coach that. He's got a World Cup winner in goal, and that does really unseat any plan that he's got when a mistake like that happens because the confidence drops. And then he's just, you know, he's almost like a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest. So I'd like to see more proactive substitutions. Um but I think I think you've got to go back to the conversation we had, you know, the first part of this year, when we were, you know, there's question marks about, you know, his commitment and some of the comments he'd mm-hmm. made, and we've been poor all season. So it's not just yeah. his, for me, it's not just his decisions in this game. I think he's had a really poor season. And when you're paying someone fifteen million pounds a year and they're meant to be a manager who gets instant results, it's very very hard to see evidence of that. And you can talk about, you know, our signings and what have you. You, you can talk about our signings or you know the, whether they were Conte signings or club signings or Paratici signings or what have you, but there's very little evidence of the coaching having an effect on the players or us improving. You know, he had six weeks to work with a, you know, a fair chunk of these players during the World Cup and there's very little evidence of that, apart from maybe Saar. I would agree. And Scarath, if you don't mind, I'm just going to jump this in before you, you, you have your say. I, I think those are all excellent points. I think what I would add to it is, and this is, you know, this is probably a, sort of my the sort of point I would make is I think he's going through a lot of personal uh turmoil I think he's I I, I know I know that there's scant regard for that in some quarters uh, uh, here and and maybe in the world but he does not seem to have the same engagement as he had at this time last year and I wonder what the effect of losing three people very close to him in three months has had and you know look he's 52 I don't know. I think maybe his patience gets short and his thrift gets short. And if there's anything thrown off about his preparation and the way his life is, I think it takes him a lot to adapt. This is a man who, it seems, is quite meticulous. I would, you know, maybe almost OCD in his preparation. And when you lose people around you like that, I think it can throw you. And I don't know. Are we seeing that he's just having his own wobble? I don't know. I'd say, I think a year ago, wasn't he at Burnley threatening to walk out and throwing his toys out of pram I'm, you know he's <laughs> he's always been um... yeah but he's not but that's that's what's interesting is he hasn't threatened to throw his toys out of the pram he's but he seems almost more docile 
this this at this moment than I've seen him. And that worries me more. That makes me think he's actually going through something elsewhere that is that is taking his focus a little bit or thrown him off his kilter. Anyway, Gareth, sorry, I'm I'm going on. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I do do think what you're saying there's some validity to it. I think there is definitely some mitigation. But as I said, with same with Lloris, and there's been patterns in the mistakes that he's making. What we're seeing now is a pattern of being outclassed tactically by too many other managers. So when you think about that really good period at the end of last season, which you know, definitely, well, which ultimately comes down to getting a good draw at Anfield and playing well there and then beating Arsenal three, day, three days later. Um, the Man City away game was a fantastic result. I do think it was a bit of a flip of a coin game that happened to go our way. But do you know what? Those good results we got are, are the outliers now. So actually what's normal is losing against teams up and around us in the positions that we want to be in occasionally going in and out running and bullying some of the lesser teams like Leicester when we put six past them and four against Palace last week but increasingly there are there, there are better coaches who are out coaching him and coming up with systems that so easily nullify and negate what we're trying to do it's you know it's untrue and as you said look we're paying him he's probably the highest paid coach in the you know in the league and you want him to come up with systems and strategies that are adaptable and meet the needs of the opponents that we're playing and at the moment that you know they're not well i mean when you talk about our issues in in midfield or you know playing out from the back i mean Tuchel found him out Tuchel um you know got the better of him you know several times as Chelsea manager and that became a blueprint for you know teams that were capable of playing that that way and I think you know you, you see a lot of that in in Arsenal's performance today and we haven't found an answer to it um and you know we, uh, there's just it's just happening too often I, th- I think again you know if you're if you're playing against us you know particularly in the first half and you get a goal the manager's just going to say go for it because they're going to they're not going to respond in the first half and you know you might be able to put the game out of sight before before they come back into it and Steph I think you know this somewhat plays into the next question you're going to be asking us I think that you know the wider issue with Conte is you know whether he you know is is the fit right at this moment in time uh you know the recruitment uh versus the manager uh you know and and how he has always wanted to work at other clubs as versus how he is working or maybe not working so well at this club perhaps perhaps he's just not the right fit at this moment i don't know maybe that's the maybe that's the conclusion we're arriving at um because i think he's i think he's been nothing but honest i don't think he's been dishonest he always you know he's plays these little games he's you know he's not been inconsistent in that regard uh and clearly something isn't working the recruitment is a little different to that which he's used to so maybe we've maybe we're just on two different paths and they're going like away from each other as opposed to coming to a fork in the road i don't know yeah, I mean, I think the the fit has always been a bit odd. I think the other problem we've got is is his commitment. You know, the, you know, I was talking to both of you before before we started, and I looked at that starting eleven today. You know, late in the game, thinking, you know, if we're going to challenge for the title, how many of these players are, are up to that standard? You know, standard of starting regularly for a title, you know, challenging side. And I think there's probably three of them. I think Romero, Decky, and Kane are, are currently are of that of that quality. Now, if we need to replace. Um, you know, seven, eight players in the team, is Conte going to be there to see that through? Because that's a, you know, four window kind of rebuild. If he's not, and that's what we need to do, then I think maybe we need to say, okay, thanks, it's not working and 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 go, you know, and find someone who can do that and can see it through. 
And I think that brings us to the problem of recruiting. As you said, it was always an odd fit in the first place. And, you know, again, with Mourinho before him, if you bring in these players, you're basically saying, I'm, I want short term. I'm going short term and I want to win now. While I've still got Harry Kane and Son Young-min at their peak, I want to win now. So when you do that, you do have to accept that that takes a level of commitment in the transfer market that perhaps we haven't shown him. Uh, again, we've supported, but maybe not in the way that you support short-term managers of that nature. So I think that's another very important factor here. Steph, what we have done is witted on for five minutes and not not let Gareth get through his inch pad of uh, so notes sorry. on whether Conte is <laughs> whether Conte <laughs> should take blame for the performance. So sorry, take mate. it away, Gareth. Um, I, I, you've said most of it there, but it still feels like he's trying to shoehorn players into a system that maybe was effective. Well, literally six years ago, you think that title-winning team he had with Chelsea, 2017, didn't play any games in Europe, by the way, just had league games to to factor in, got 93 points. But you look at the drop-off they had the following season when teams found out how to play against them. We certainly outplayed his Chelsea side twice that following season. And things move on in football very, very quickly. And actually, five years or six years is an absolute ice age in terms of football and and, and tactically as well. And I think that's why I'm not too down that this feels like it should, this is probably the nadir of how it's going to feel. Being utterly humiliated on our own patch by Arsenal, <laughs> who look like they're going on to win the league title. I'm not, um, I'm not, not we too will down. We languish around in somewhere between six. But I, I, I think I'm reasonably zen about it because I feel that if the club makes the right decisions, and whether that's with Conte or without Conte, in 15 months' time, we could be in the same position that Manchester United are in at the moment. I think it was October 2021 when they got beaten 5-0 at home by Liverpool. They're, you know, their biggest rivals. And you think, for, you know, for, for a club of that scale anyway, that is absolutely, that's absolutely huge. That could potentially could be an existential crisis. And look what they've done. They've recruited well. They've got a manager in. They've given him a bit of time despite an incredibly shaky start. And they look like they're on a club on the up at the moment. I mean, Potentially, I mean, they go to Arsenal next week. They could be Arsenal's closest challengers mm. this year. But what that should tell us is that things can move on on very quickly. And you know, actually, how we're feeling at the moment is absolutely awful. It's as it's it's as bad an afternoon as we've had for a very long time. But do you know what? Two, three days, two, three weeks time, it may not feel any better. But potentially, you know, it really can in twelve months' time. I think it's a good point about. Um... Kind of managers having a, a time, you know, a, a time limit, you know, a, a shelf life. And I think there's a case for saying that maybe Conte, you know, a bit like Mourinho, when they've joined us there at the end or, you know, past that and, and uh, you know, living a bit off past glories, I think you've got a question with Conte, you know, is he going to walk into a top job after us? Um, or is he looking, you know, is it going to be a club who are struggling a bit or struggling, you know, he, he might not get a club again with that kind of, the funds that he's had previously. If we're saying that that is the case and, you know, we were looking for a new manager, one of the things that struck me during the game is that, you know, Arteta was appointed, you know, around the same time that Mourinho, we sacked Pochettino and appointed Mourinho. They were you know, pretty joined at pretty much the same time. And Arsenal have followed a model not dissimilar to we were following under Pochettino, you know, signing predominantly young players. You know, they've spent more than we did, but signing, you know, players and keeping faith with him and allowing him time to to build those players through and we've adopted you know we've we've had you know a couple of kind of win now managers that you know Steph touched on earlier maybe that you know maybe that's um justified when you're trying to or you can see the logic when you're trying to squeeze those last couple of drops out of Sun and Kane and you recognize you know you've got generational talents there um and maybe 
you know, bringing managers with, with the attempt trying to get something out of that. But, you know, it sounds like we're at the point where we accept that maybe that hasn't worked. Would, sorry, a bit of a long-winded question here, Steph. I've, I've really taken to your chair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> would, would you be willing to have a few seasons of lower finishes if we brought in a manager who was committed to bringing through and improving a good batch of, you know, the good young players we've already got at the club and signing similar players to bring in? Would you, is that something that we'd be willing to accept? I think Arsenal finished eighth twice, didn't they, under Arteta and, and kept him? I think, yes. Steph, do you want to come in on that? Yeah, I, I will. Uh, you know, first of all, you know, I, I, and just to go on record again, I mean, I, I really, I, I will always feel that Poch should have been given a chance to rebuild again. And I think we could arguably be right up there with Arteta right now. So, I mean, that's, you know, that, that's a feeling I have. He was always a, a great project manager. Who, who knows if he burned out on that? But yes, I do think that we, we I would be prepared for that if I saw that there was a, a plan. I think that all you're looking for is you're looking for a vision and you're looking for a plan and you're looking for something that everyone is on the same page with. And what is increasingly apparent with our situation is that the pages are from a different book, but sitting inside the same cover. And that is a little disconcerting. So get all the pages uh, belonging to the same novel. I'm, you know, look, we haven't fucking won anything for how long? Under Poch, we didn't win, but we won because we were in the same direction we were doing it. We were doing it. And so, yes, unequivocally, yes, I would take that. I would accept it. I was watching um, Brighton take apart Liverpool yesterday. And, you know, what struck me, I think their starting lineup cost 31 million total. And they're, I've said this before, and they're just such a well run club from top to bottom. There's a clear direction. You know, and when Potter went, I had no, no doubts that they'd appoint the right person because they would have done the homework exactly the same way they do. With their players, you know, you think over the last couple of seasons, the players they've lost and, you know, and replaced, and it's been seamless. And, you know, Basuma's gone, Ben White's gone, you go through, you go through them all. And it's, there's a just production line. They know what they're doing. They're just well run. We're not, we're not all pointing in the same direction. We're not all going and doing the same stuff, you know, from top to bottom. Not everyone's got the same idea. And I think, I think if you went to Brighton and asked anyone there, what's the philosophy of this club? They'd all be able to tell you. They'd all say the same thing within a few words, and they'd be able to do it in a sentence or two. I think if you did that with anyone at Spurs, you'd probably get ten different answers, and none, most of it would probably be buzzwords that don't mean anything. Gareth, yeah, I think Brighton are a, a club that are really comfortable in their own skin at the moment. I think it's interesting that them, Fulham, and Brentford all sit next to each other in the league table. Because I think you could say the same thing, certainly for Brentford. Perhaps Fulham will prove to be the same as that as well. For me, we're, we're we're a club in purgatory at the moment. We're in this really strange holding pattern where we've done so well out of being that challenger club that wants to build. Um, and now we've got the new stadium. It feels like that we're more concerned about the brand than we are with what's going on in the pitch at Absolutely. the moment. Absolutely. The brand is that we've got to, yeah. we've got, we've got to be up there and we've got to be one of the biggest clubs and the, ma- the managers that we appoint have got to reflect that. Whereas actually we're, we're suffering from, you call it maybe strategic drift or perhaps it is just this strange transition, but we've always occupied this really, really weird space that if you take Arsenal, Manchester United and Liverpool as perhaps the established forces in English football and have been over a number of years, then you've got Chelsea and, and Man City and potentially Newcastle as the cast rich, nouveau rich who have joined that. And we occupy this very odd space where we're neither one thing nor the other. Um, and the, the only real clubs on the continent that I can try and liken us to are, you know, Dortmund and Atletico Madrid. But if you, if you, if you want to take that space, you've got to be prepared for the fact that part of that business plan is that you will sell your best players when those 
bids come in for them. And perhaps this leads us to the question about what might happen this summer. Yeah. And, and personally speaking, I'd be very comfortable with us being, I'd rather we tried to be Dortmund than tried to be Chelsea. Absolutely. I, I'm going to, I know, I agree. And I'm going to throw one of my stupid metaphors at you again. Uh, Ricky did say last week, I should never give up on them. Uh, so it feels to me like we're a world-class lettuce farm whose budget is built. Uh, uh, we bring in a, a dairy guy to, to you know, we, we buy equipment for this lettuce farm that would befit a dairy. It's like, Give. I, I don't know if that metaphor means anything. It sprung into my head. No. Maybe it's because I'm amongst grass and rain. We we just. We, yeah. Maybe I should just stick to the fact that we really do not look like we have any real cohesion. I mean, we really don't. And I don't know lettuce farm and dairy. It just makes sense. It doesn't. Can I just it? return to your 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 last um, stupid your last metaphor metaphor from from, the, from a couple of weeks ago when you were talking about um, <laughs> uh, souffles? Yes. And Michelin starred chefs. Yes. And what. It wasn't until the next morning when I realised that I should have pointed out to you that Michelin-starred chefs make their you know, Michelin-starred sauces using bones and offcuts and uh, the trimmings from vegetables. Mm. And our Michelin-starred chef can't do that. We found a metaphor that works in the end, didn't we? <laughs> we, went, <laughs> we went through lettuce fields and a dairy to get there. But yeah, no, it's a great point. I mean, I, look, I think you've both summed it up really well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're all in agreement, aren't we, that this... That, Maybe the fit. Maybe we are in that moment where we look at this, and I think depending on what happens on Thursday, maybe the fit. We just have to hold our hands up and say, "Well, the fit isn't right." Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's a difficult one because you can understand um, from Daniel Levy and the, the board's perspective that they feel they're in a position where they've got to be chasing the biggest commercial deals, um, and they've got to be generating income, and they've got to be getting money into the into the club essentially to be able to, to get it out. And the way they want to do that seems to be just by taking shortcuts and just hoping yes. that you get a big on field, that you get the best manager yeah, in and that they are still the real deal oh. and that they're going to get you those results. And I think getting fourth last year, we might look back, well, maybe we'll be in the Champions League this year, but um, probably we won't. But I do wonder whether that just papered over the cracks a little bit and, you know, actually we need a season where the worst thing that could happen to us would be to creep into fourth place, which I don't think is going to happen this year. I just think that Newcastle will continue to build and United look much stronger than us at the moment as well. But, you know, actually the worst thing that could happen to us would be to sneak into fourth place again and just keep that strange holding pattern going again and again. It's a shame, isn't it? Because when you talk about kind of vision and selling the club and all that kind of stuff, I would have said that actually, you know, having the best stadium in the world and, you know, the best training facilities in the world and, you know, a big fan base that turn up in numbers every week and all of that. And if you put an attractive side, it doesn't even have to be winning much, but just playing attractive, you know, exciting football, that is a great brand. And, you know, we were we were close to that with, a, with an old knackered stadium. And, you know, yeah. just, yeah. Well, I think what, I think what, today's game more than ever amplifies is that uh you know and you look at them across the road today and you look at what Arteta's done uh you know he's been banging on the door for a while but the thing that he managed to do that really brought it together was arguably not on the pitch it was around the club he unified that club from the fucking you know from the last row in the north bank to to the bench they are a unified they're a unified club and we have that with Poch, and that's what we need again. We need that. That's the most important thing, and I don't feel it anywhere close to us right now. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I, I fear looking at social media uh, right now because I'm sure it's toxic, and, and and that's the most important thing. And how we get to that 
I, I, I don't know, but I suspect, Milo, that what you suggested is the only way we're going to get to that right now. And so yeah, it, it's vital. It's everything. In, in, in which case, I think the question is whether you do it now or whether you do it in the summer. Yeah, great question. I think that's the choice. Great question. Yeah. And what I think uh, the well, other... that, that, that is the problem, isn't it? That's, so that strange holding pattern that we're in at the moment, that you, you think, well, this is the bloke that got us to fourth with probably similar points all at this point in the season last year. So let's assume that he's going to do it again now. But that's, I, I don't see it. And I think rip off the plaster. But... Sorry, Steph, you were going to say? I was just going to say, I think so much of this is tethered also to our insecurity about what we're going to do with Harry Kane. I think, that's a, I think there's also an unfortunate moment coming for us where it's going to be inevitable that if Harry signs a new contract and stays, it's going to be to lead a new, a new project. That may not fit necessarily with what he wants. Maybe someone needs a fresh break. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, that there's so many questions to answer, and they're tough. they're tough questions. I mean, I think the situation with Kane is coming to a crunch point. If he doesn't sign yes. a new contract and we receive, a, we receive a decent bid for him in the summer, then I think you have to sell him. Mm-hmm. Because we can't afford to allow him to leave for free in a year's time and then have to replace him. Um, so I think, you know, if Man United come in with an £80 million bid in the summer and he hasn't signed a new contract, then I think you've got to accept it or, you know, at least try and get other clubs interested you know, and get an auction going. And that's where the question of whether to do it now or the summer comes, because I would almost say that if you think that that is a potential and increasingly uh, inevitable conclusion, maybe you think of, of, of doing it sooner than later. But to do that, you have to have earmarked your manager. Now, if it was managerial musical chairs and let's say Potter becomes available and you know Potch goes to Chelsea, I don't know. I mean, would you take Pot would you take Potter? I mean, I don't know, but I think I, I, I think we have to go with the project at this point because that's essentially what we are in every definition of what we're doing and how we're behaving, except for Antonio. And again, that's no real blame on Antonio. It's about the fit. I mean, I think Potter's a good manager. I think, you know, a bit like we're saying with Conte, I think he's at the wrong club at the moment. He's got a chairman who's just yeah. going crazy. Um, I mean, I want the warm embrace of Potter again, I think. Um, it might just be sentiment over, you know, it might be heart overhead. I love him, but he's not coming back, I don't think. So I love him. I, yeah, I, I I think if we were getting Potch 2014 back, I'd be, I'd be up for it. But again, as we said with Conte, things move on very quickly and it's been... Three years since Poch managed in, in England, unless he's completely rediscovered a brand new formula, um, then I, th- I think that's a dangerous road to go on, as well as all those emotional things about you know never going back. But look, there will be another Pochettino twenty fourteen character out there, whether it's Deserbi at Brighton, who I know we're all impressed with initially. He's probably got a similar profile to that of Poch when he when he joined us. Um, that's what. I think that's what would make us all feel more comfortable. But again, I think if all of us are agreeing with that, we also have to resign ourselves to the fact that there'll be some really stodgy periods, particularly in that first season when they're with us. And there'll be quite a significant turnover of probably quite key players in the team as well. And there'll be points where we'll lose at home to the equivalent of West Brom and Stoke and Villa as we did in, in, in Pochettino's first season. As indeed, you spoke about Arteta, that first full season here. They lost home games to Villa, Mm -hmm. Leicester, Burnley, Everton. Um, I mean, he was lucky. I think that was still before crowds were back in. So it probably wasn't as toxic as it could have been. I think my counter-argument with Poch would be that he was exhausted at the end. And if we're getting a refreshed Poch in, I think that's a different proposition. Um, and I think you've, we've also got to bear in mind that you know there was a lot of players that he wanted to clear out of that team, and then you know for one reason or other wasn't able to do that. So I do think he's someone who could come in and be ruthless. I don't think 
Um, he's the kind of safe, comfortable option that some of our fans seem to think he is. I think he's he's a pretty hard um, guy and he's, he doesn't duck difficult decisions. And he's clearly campaigning for the job. Yeah, it all comes down to, to uh, I think, really one thing. And that is what his relationship will be with the board at this point, given how fractitious his relationship became with elements of the board towards the end. And I don't necessarily mean one person, just uh, there were, uh, I think, fractitious yeah. elements bring, springing up. That's, uh, you know, I don't know if that's been resolved. Uh, look, emotionally, I'd love it. I think if I was being really brutally honest, I think we do need to find not even a Deserby, maybe a, a Zerbi. Maybe we need the next one. You know, I don't know. I, but I think we do need that energy. The players were signing, the Paratici signing, you know, and that's the other question is how Paratici would work with Parch, uh, you know, if, if indeed Paratici would stay if Conti goes, which I believe he would, because isn't that the point of a director of football? So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, so yeah, many questions. So. so many questions. Yeah. So are we saying that's what we think we need? We need. Yeah, I think we said. I, I think, I think. I think what we need is a clear set, you know, sense of direction, and that's what we're lacking. Correct. If Conte signs a new contract, if Conte Conte signs a new contract next week, Kane signs a new contract next week, um, you know, we bring in, a, you know, bring in Poro, we bring in Trossard, then I think it actually things start looking very different very quickly. But without that kind of certainty, it feels like we're drifting. Let that be the gavel on the moment. <laughs> no. So, what do we think of? Yeah, what do we think of Arsenal? Apart from responding in the juvenile. Uh, shit yeah. uh, let's be honest they're a top side they control i think they controlled the game today once they got their noses in front i think even before that there's a strong argument to say they were in control and i felt they had an extra two gears to go into i think i think they're the real deal and i think they have been and i think that we all have to we have to put our big boy pants on uh, or our adult pants on i should say uh, big boy big girl pants on they, they are most likely going to win the league I, I really feel that i feel that they are a top side the only thing that would trip them up is squad strength. But they're a top side. Yeah, it feels, feels like a seminal weekend with City losing yesterday. And City didn't particularly impress me, apart from sort of the 10 minutes no. around the time that they scored. Um, that feels like it's... Show uh, up on Thursday, uh, won't they? Yeah, cool. well, uh, and possibly we want them to. I think genuinely, I think for what we've got left riding on this season, mm. making us or Arsenal don't win the league um, might be about the best thing that we can salvage from it. If we, uh, if we, we drop six points to City now, I think already dropped six to Arsenal. And I, I'm, I, I'm saying that it's about fifty percent tongue in cheek. You've gone all um, nineteen ninety seven on us, you. haven't you? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, but if you if we, we want to be want to be sensible and mature and grown up about it, you think that we've seen a really masterful team there that's really really confident. It's got momentum behind it. They've they've got a strategy in place and they've they've got good players that that fit that system around them. I mean, Shaka's still a prick if we're going to be silly about it and trying to get Romero sent off. When he clearly wasn't up to that, I mean, that should have been a yellow card for the simulation, shouldn't it? That challenge on the halfway yeah. line when he threw himself into it. But um, so we've got to find something to attack him with, haven't we? But um, that's about all I can. I think they're the best visitors to the lane this season. I think that was the best performance of a visitor to the lane this season. Right, come on, let's get this over with then. Closing thoughts, one positive, one negative. Um, Gareth, you go first. Um, my positive is that poor old Emerson Royale was on the bench and therefore was immune from any negativity coming from the Sands today. 
Um, the, 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 the negative thing is, I think, everything that we've discussed before, we, we were utterly humiliated. I've been watching us play Arsenal for what, 35 years now, and invariably they've been a better team than us, but nearly always we've turned up, and even if we've had people like Alan Nilsson and Stephen Clements and Stefan Freund in midfield, we, we've given them a, a battle, and invariably we've come out with draws in that game. But we played today like we normally do to play against Chelsea, whereas we just go in there with that real inferiority complex and I I really hope that this is just a one-off here because we should never be humiliated by them on our own turf like that. Steph? Positive would be uh, Papsar. We discussed that. I think that was a huge positive for us today and uh, long may his career continue and prosper with us. The negative is it really did, I think, put in the glaring spotlight what we've also addressed several times during this pod which is that we are pages from two different stories in the same covers. Uh, and that, you know, the split direction was really uh, blown. It was really shown today, I think. Um, and, and, you know, if anything, well, maybe another positive to come, I suppose, is that we were learning who we need to get rid of in the summer. And, and, and you know, I don't know. That's the best I've got. I tried to find a second positive. <laughs> my, pos- my positive is that it's over. We don't have to face that again. Um, just, just, just Man City again twice this month left. They're very informal. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, actually, could Fulham jump above us if they beat us? Uh, I suspect so. Yeah. Assuming I'll leave we don't that get anything you. at City. On, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm trying to avoid looking at any league tables at the moment to know <laughs> definitively. But that that could be curtains for um, Conte, couldn't it? If we yes. lost to City, Fulham, and City, and Fulham are above two us points and, behind us. Having yeah. played a game more, but that that game will have been lost by the time that we. Well, this is, right. That, that game. Yeah, I mean the nights will already be out for everyone, won't they? Well, there's my negative. <laughs> <laughs> only one. That's a positive in itself. If you only got one negative, crikey, we're ahead of the game. <laughs> I was, I was saying to you, I'm doing dry January. So whoever put North London Derby in January is a is a real sadist. That really was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right, come on then. Let's move. We're doing ask about tit this um, this pod. So um, the week that was to uh, to finish us off. So and I think pretty much all of them are good news is good news stories. Uh, so uh, we've got a pushed us um, hat trick. Uh, Richarlison. His stunning goal for Brazil against Serbia at the World Cup. Steph, have you got any audio for that or in your car there? Uh, hang on. Goal! Richarlison! Richarlison! It sounded even better then, actually, because with your crappy um, signal <laughs> and your iPad mics, it, it sounds... I've got the real kind of um, medium wave radio um effect to that so Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> um so <go> on. <laughs> no no so uh yeah so richardson's been uh, nominated for the 2022 pushkas award uh it's our third year in the row uh that well the previous two years we won it with lamella with his uh, wonderful rabona against the goons oh happier days well actually no it wasn't was it because we lost that one as well but it was a wonderful <laughs> goal um <laughs> in march 21 uh, and sonny won it last year for running the length of the pitch and past half of burnley's side uh, before calmly slotting it away how do you think richardson's effort compares to those last two winners I feel a bit removed from it because, of course, he did it for Brazil rather than us, whereas Sonny and Lamella's goals, they're both in Lily White, weren't they? Um, I I think in our football crimes, Steph admitted to being a 
kind of glory hunting Brazil fan on the side. So I think he can claim it as, I don't know whether he's got a, a Brazil and Spurs half and half scarf. Glory but, hunting um, Brazil fan. That's lovely. I love that. Yeah. I will say that thrust as I was by profession into following them during the 94 World Cup, I'll accept that criticism. Uh, but, um, or observation, I should say. I don't know. I think it compares. Oh, look, it's at least as good as those. Um, it's a different type of goal, isn't it? It's all about the technical um, execution. You know, for the sake of the fact I want him to win, uh, win it and I want this to be our third uh, trophy in a row of, for the third season in a row, uh, I'll say that it was the best yet. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> I think we were, talking, we were talking earlier on about a club identity. I mean, surely this is how we sell it to other uh, to players joining us. Join us and win the Pushkas. You know, we're Pushkas FC. <laughs> That's right. See, you'll get an individual. You'll get individual glory with us, if not team. Yeah, that's right. So talking of individual glory, Gareth Bale announced his retirement from all forms of football this week. Bale represented Wales at the World Cup and been playing playing Major League Soccer for uh, for Los Angeles FC this season. So during during a remarkable career, Gareth won the Champions League five times, the World Club Cup four times, La Liga three times, UEFA Super Cup three times. The Spanish Cup once, the Spanish Super Cup three times, the English League Cup with us in 2008, and uh, last year, the MLS Cup and the Supporters' Shield. Any favourite Bale moments we want to relive? Put a shine on a otherwise awful day? No, oh, I mean, good God. Where where do you start? Come on, Gareth. Where where do we start here? As you saw, well, the, the, the showreel list is incredible, wasn't it? Mm. The, um, you haven't mentioned San Siro yet. That's bottom, usually your, your first first breath, isn't it? San Siro Well, trip. yeah, no, I, 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 I was there, taxi for Mycon in the, in the return game as well. The, um, you know, the volley at Stoke, where his mm. leg was about eight feet in the air when he connected mm. with the ball and, and put it in the top corner. Um, you know, all the goals that he scored against against Arsenal, mm-hmm. which he, he scored several of them, including at least one at the Emirates, which proved to be a decisive one back in back in 2010. Um, There's it, it, just so many of them. Isn't it? I think that back end of the 2012-13 season, we were we were just seeing probably the third yes. best player in the world in our shirts, which is every week, and the, yeah. the games that he won by himself. I think that the goal that he scored against Sunderland right near the end of that ABV season was was probably yeah. my favourite, simply because at that point I thought it was enough, and I thought that he had squeaked us into the top four, and he'd done it. I mean, there was so much pressure on him at that moment in that game because he was literally the only person who was going to get anywhere close to the net the way the game was going. And he didn't just get close to it. He absolutely broke it apart. And, you know, you've got the West Ham. He scored that absolutely brilliant goal yeah. against West Ham. I mean, it's it's very hard, isn't it, to, to, to gauge exactly uh, what your favourite Gareth McBell moment is. And there's there are so many, um, you know. I mean, I, I'm sure that, you know, if we're honest, I'm sure a few of us would also tip our hat quite happily to that spectacular overhead kick in the Champions League final. Yeah, he scored for Real yeah, Madrid. Yeah, I think, yeah. Which, yeah, an absolutely incredible piece of skill yeah. to be able to do that. Yeah. But I mean, we've seen him. You, you've been watching Spurs a little bit longer than I have. Mm. But we're fortunate that we've had these players, even in really, really abject times when there's been very average players around them. Yes. That we've had these players who have just been on a different planet. It's like having you know the cheat code on playing FIFA, isn't it? Where you've just got one player who you give the ball to, and they can just do the yeah. same thing every time with the same outcome and he had that for for particularly for that six month period at the end of that 2012-13 absolutely season. But, yeah 
and, and we we were lucky enough to witness that. I mean, really, as 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 a footballer in it, you know, in a wider sense, I'm just so sorry for the way that he was treated by by Madrid. I mean, that's that's utterly mm. scandalous. You, you spoke about the goal that he scored in the final, which probably up there with Zidane against Leverkusen in 2002 has got to be the greatest goal ever scored in the in the Champions League final. Oh, yeah. To think that they only have a lukewarm feeling towards him, I, I think, is utterly scandalous and that's they're, they're an absolute joke of a club really aren't they i think the other the other shame is when he came back to us on loan it was two empty stadiums it was a real shame that. that he didn't get to play in front of a crowd for us and that he didn't get to see me wearing my 200 dollar nipple friendly gareth bale yellow shirt <laughs> which would have surely spurred him on to uh you know, to help us win a trophy if to announce his retirement home. earlier <laughs> 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 oh dear so while we're talking about retirement, and we touched on this earlier on, Hugo Lloris announced his international retirement earlier this week and his club retirement today. Uh, Hugo captain France to the World Cup last year and narrowly missed out on being um, the first captain to win uh, to lead his country to back-to-back wins. Uh, Lloris made his France debut in 2008 and his country's record appearance maker with 145 caps, 122 of those as captain, which is another fr- uh, French record. Um, it's a bit sad, isn't it? Kind of feels like the end of an era. Yeah, I sort of feel like he's gone out with France at the right time. Yeah, I think he played well for them in the World Cup. There weren't any I can't remember any. He certainly played very well against us. Uh, I'm not sure he was particularly tested in the in the semi final. So it feels like it was a good time for him to go out for go out for France, and I'm, I'm sure that he'll be he'll be well remembered by the, you know, the French Football Federation. Yep. Look, he won the World Cup. He nearly won it back to back. He's even been in two World Cup finals. You don't get to do that unless you are, or at the very least, have been one hell of a goalkeeper. And I think we'd all yeah. agree that he certainly has been one hell of a goalkeeper. And 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 you know, you you hope that those are the memories that remain as he gets into his twilight here. And you hope that he knows that and sees that. And uh, yes, let me just let you take it on because I, I, otherwise we're going to get maudlin here, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, it's just sad. And I think you touched on this earlier on, Gareth. I think with keepers, maybe the end comes a bit quicker than it does with other positions because there's not much hiding, is there? And um, yeah, mm. yeah, it's such a shame. Another departure, say, Lucas Mora. There was an announcement later on in the week that the club have decided not to take the option of extended extending Lucas's contract for another year. Lucas is now free to speak to other clubs about his next move in the summer, although the club may allow, allow him to leave earlier. Uh, Lucas joined us in January 2018. I've spoken several times recently about how I'd like to leave as a free agent in the summer. Um, I mean, this is a bit of an easy one. This, uh, yeah, how will he be remembered at the club? Thank be you. a cult hero. Yeah, thank you for Amsterdam. Yeah, be a cult hero. Yeah. But in, in saying that, you know, there's no point today where you thought, "Oh, I wish we had Lucas Moore on the bench. I'd love to bring him on at the moment because he would make the difference." And I don't think any of us have really felt that way about him in in probably a good eighteen months, two years. Thank you yeah, for Amsterdam. Thank you for Amsterdam. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's all. Right. Let's finish with a couple of transfer rumours. So Trossard, it's been widely reported this week uh, that we're interested in signing the versatile 28-year-old Brighton forward uh, Leonardo Trossard. Uh, reports to, towards the end of the week said that uh, Trossard was training alone after Roberto De Zerbi was unimpressed with his attitude after returning to the World Cup. And actually, after I wrote that, um, Trossard's agent released a statement which was quite strongly worded saying about uh, how pissed off he was with De Zerbi. And... Um, what I'd heard on Saturday is after being, or Friday, after being left out of the squad for the weekend, he jumped on the Eurostar and went back home. So what do we think? Is it? Would he be a good signing? 
Sounds like a great character to have in the squad, doesn't it, at the moment? Uh, he's, 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 he's okay. I mean, his assist record isn't great. His uh, goal-scoring record isn't great. He pops up once in a while with something useful. Um, I just don't really understand. Yes, you sign as a fifth striker, but if we're talking about possibly losing the greatest striker of all time in the summer, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if it makes sense. Why, I, the, the signing doesn't make sense to me other than it's an opportunity. I don't see where he fits into this squad. He can play across the, the front three and can also play as a wing back. His, his strongest position is probably as a left um, inside forward where we've got Sun and, and Richarlison. But, I mean, his record this season isn't bad. He's got seven goals and a three, assi- three assists in 16 Premier League games. I think he had a pretty good return from out wide last season as well. He's, he's, it, didn't he score a couple at Old Trafford on the opening day? He scored a hat-trick at Anfield. So, yeah, it, it, I mean, look, just joking aside, I, I, would have him, I would have him at the moment. It feels like it's a bit of a short-term solution, but I would have him, I, I, I would like, I think he'd be more equipped and he'd be it'd be hit the ground running ahead of Brian Hill as a, as, yeah. a, as a as a backup yeah, at the moment. It goes I, I to personally, Conti. I'd probably pick him ahead of Sonny at the moment. It goes to Conti. Is Conti's sticking around? It doesn't make sense to me. He's five foot seven. He doesn't fit Conti's physical profile. I don't know. We'll see. It feels a bit to me like the um, kind of Clint Dempsey signing, where you know a, a decent player. You know, Premier League experienced player is available at a reasonable price, and uh, and it Super feels like Clint. good business. Super yeah, or, Clint, if, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe Stephen Pienaar would be kind of another example of Stephen Pienaar. That name makes his debut on the game is about glory. Fantastic work. <laughs> We've never mentioned Stephen Pienaar on this pod. You see, this pod has it, 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 it's been a cheerful moment today on the pod, Stephen Pienaar. And I might also say my battery is at three percent, so you might lose me in a minute. Okay. Uh, you'll be all cheerful about that. But I do want to say that we did spend 45 minutes at Manchester City once adapting every Tottenham Hotspur name we could find to Clint Dempsey. Non-stop, 45 minutes. I might have had a bit to drink. So I love Clint Dempsey. Diego Yotta would probably be the other one in terms of a kind of Liverpool signing, in terms of, you know, signing someone who's Premier League experienced and, you know. Yeah. Oh, great player. Planning. Great player, isn't he? Um, and to see off the pod... Uh, the Porro story rumbles on with no meaningful developments. Come back next week when we'll be saying exactly the same thing. <laughs> Cheers, guys. That wasn't fun. <laughs> well, no, it's always cathartic, isn't it? You've given it. You've given us a good yes. way of, of, of outpouring what a couple of hours after what was a, a thoroughly miserable afternoon. <laughs> yes, we've been porrowing our uh, sorrows out. Thank you for tolerating my uh, ridiculous uh, internet and weather situations, chaps. We appreciate that as well. Um, so thanks for joining us so we'll be back next week to talk about Man City and Fulham Steph will have a mic that's working and hopefully we've got some better results to talk about so thanks for joining us and uh, see you next week